This episode of The Devin Kershaw Show is brought to you by the Mount Bachelor Nordic Center. The facts are this, Mount Bachelor, as the bird flies or the car drives, is not too far from the ocean. Lots of moisture flows over the flanks of the over 9,000 foot volcano in central Oregon, which means deep, deep snow in winter. And that's the case right now where the Mount Bachelor Nordic Center is loaded up with snow. It is midwinter in the home mountains. To learn more about the Mount Bachelor Nordic Center and their COVID-19 policies, go to mountbachelor.com. This is Jason Albert, and you are listening to The Devin Kershaw Show from Faster Skier. In this episode, we break down, dissect, and discuss the weekend races from Odorosam, Sweden. On the show also, along with Devin, is former Canadian national team member and friend of Devin's, Jess Cockney. We discuss Saturday's skate sprint and Sunday's team sprint as well. Thanks for listening, and we'll let Devin take it from here. Okay. Well, we're really excited to have Jess Cockney, an old teammate of mine and a very good friend, on, on the pod to, to dissect the Aldersham World Cup that just went down. It was a skate sprint and a skate team sprint in Sweden. Um, well, there's some kind of fun storylines. I mean, Norway didn't send their A team, and that showed. And Russia sent a very stripped-down men's team. Barely any Russian men were in attendance and no Russian women. So... Uh, that said, there still was a lot of exciting racing, I thought. And uh, even though there's no skate sprint at the World Championships and stuff, um, yeah, I thought we could get into discussing a little bit what we can expect from from the sprint at World Championships as well. And Jess, of course, for those at home that don't know, although I'm sure everyone does, uh, <laughs> Jess was a teammate of mine on the Canadian national team for a number of years. Uh, he's raced in the top 10 in the World Cup a numerous, numerous times, so he knows what he's talking about, especially when it comes to skate sprinting. And, of course, has raced at the Olympics for Canada. So he's, uh, he's a great addition for our uh, hodgepodge little group here. And <laughs> we'll, we'll break down the races for, for the folks at home. That's the introduction. I just like, but like, I think we should just launch right into it. I, I, I don't know what you guys thought, but I thought the skate sprint was actually the individual sprint was fun. It was, there was some like, fun, there was some fun storylines out there. And, and I think like, I mean, just to right off the bat, we'll just jump right into it with the women. Uh, of course the Swedish women's team sprint team is just on fire. And they showed that again, putting four women in the final and Dahlqvist winning is of course exciting, but um, Hogstrom first year senior second at world juniors last year, that was kind of like her, her Paul Maris won the prologue in Falun a week ago storms to winning the prologue again uh, here in all and then finishes second. Like she's the real deal. And I, I don't know what, what, her technique is solid. She's a really strong, powerful skier and the Swedish women are doing everything right this season. Yeah, definitely. I think that a uh, big takeaway, if you take a look at results from sprints this year for the women, it's Sweden, Sweden, Sweden. They've got so many skiers that can win a race, be in the final. Um, they've really su- supplanted the Norwegian team uh, on the women's side. And um, it's great to see like the pipeline seems to be working for them and whatever they're, they're doing, um, for the last five or six years, I think is really coming to fruition now. And then it's kind of right on schedule with, with Sweden, right. With the Olympics next year, they always seem to peak for that quadrennial and have the big races when it counts. So they will be, um, 
in really, really good shape with lots of strong skiers for next year's skate sprint in China. So I didn't realize, and, and Simi made, made me aware of this this morning, that I don't think they've held a sprint at this venue before. Is that correct? That's you correct. Yeah, that's correct. Yes. Yeah, and, and one thing of note, if people are used to like sort of the punchier, speedier kind of Davos skate sprint, which is about two and a half minutes or so, this was longer for the women, about three and a half minutes, maybe, you know, 324 or so on the faster folks or faster heats and about three minutes for the men. So can you guys maybe chat a little bit about what you observed for the, from the, the course and maybe why things stuck together so much? Um, yeah, the uh, qualification actually was posted on YouTube site. So I really love watching qualifying because it's something I had a big difficulty with in my career so seeing how the guys and girls at the top ski in the qualifier is great to see because it's sort of this mystery we don't often see what the the technique and tempo and strategy is in a qualifier and I think that that's a pretty big hole missing in the development so it was great to see uh, a video of the qualifier and they followed Lucas Shanova the entire way on his qualification and something that really stuck out to me was the patience like the powerful patient sort of calm sprinting that he had and I think um, when people think about sprinting you think about quick movements really high tempo really sort of like choppy skiing and uh, Shanova skiing was anything but that he was smooth composed he didn't even look like he was breaking a sweat out there and then he crosses the line and finishes the day in the top five like business as usual for him and um, the profile of the course seemed to, to suit his style of that smooth, easy power with not a lot of change of tempo climbs that really get you out of rhythm. He just sort of set it and forget it. And um, yeah, he's, he's a strong guy and it really showed yesterday. Yeah, no, for sure. I, like, I, I'll piggyback on that for sure. I mean, like, although you do hear like some criticism here and there about like the quote unquote course length. I mean, people just have to deal with the fact that at the championships now for a number of years, of course, 2019 in Seyfeld for the women's sprint, it wasn't that long. But most of the time, these championship courses are, are tough and they're a little on the longer side. And while Jess was saying that the course itself wasn't hard, I mean, it's, it's fairly flat, but there was a lot of there's a lot of change of direction. There's a lot of corners that we'll get into once we start dissecting the heats themselves. Um, so you have, you gotta be for sure. Like Jess is saying, like skiing big, powerful and carrying your speed through all those, all those corners. But you know, like when I hear sprinters complain about like, Oh, 322 or 324 is a little too long for the women. And, and right around three minutes is too long for the men. Like give your head a shake. If you want to play, if you want to play in the bigs and that means at the championships, then you have to be able to, to translate into having great quarterfinals, semifinals and finals in a course that is a, a quote unquote, a little longer. I mean, uh, consequently, you see a lot of criticism with courses like Dresden and Davos, because quite frankly, like results from those results, res sorry, racing in venues like that, that are like right around two minutes or in Dresden's case, under two minutes. Um, it gives you kind of a false sense of confidence going into a championship, especially on the men's side of things because you think you got everything on lock and then you get to a championship that goes 320 or 330 in, in your qualification and you're nowhere near. So, I mean, I thought it was a, it was a fair, honest course, but that said space was limited and you had to make smart heads up decisions out there. And there's a number of good athletes that just weren't making great tactical decisions and they paid for that on, uh, on Saturday. 
Well, let's let's hit up the the women's race first because there's a lot going on there, at least for North American skiing, and and you know, and I qualify that with both obviously Jesse's Diggins is uh, chasing the overall, but also you know Canada had uh, some notable performances. So yeah, let's start with the women's side. Yeah, I think I think I'll take I'll start running with that one. Like I was thrilled to see Maya McIsaac Jones finish the day in 18th. That was a huge result. And, and, you know, what I think is really fun with the Canadian program right now is that there's a lot of problems. It's, it's uh, chronically underfunded. Um, it's been a battle for a lot of these athletes, of course, coronavirus derailed like all of period one. Uh, like I said, where travel had to be changed at the last minute. And then, uh, then next thing you know, all of period one is scrapped. And every weekend, it seems like on the women's side that we have women that are getting career best results. And while, while I understand that 18th isn't, isn't uh, maybe what Canadian armchair Canadian fans are used to, they're used to like Sarah Renner or Chandra Crawford or Becky Scott or, or Dasha or whatever, like crushing like into the finals or winning medals. But you got to walk before you can run. And, and to see Maya after coming off a really tough sprint, and she's better in skating, but still she had a really tough sprint in Falun and wasn't on form. And then coming in here and, and coming 18th like that, like that, this is, this is a solid race. And Daria, it's, it's, it's hard to see Daria struggle right now. I know how good she can be, especially in skate sprinting. Uh, she's qualified a number of times and she was just outside making, uh, making the qualification and, and like missing those opportunities like that. Like I, I know that's things I've been in that position as well. And, and her, her chances will be limited. So that, that was, that was tough, but I don't know what you, what you saw, Jess, but I thought it was really exciting to see uh, Maya in, in 18th, like top 20, that's nothing to, to sneer at. And she hasn't got a whole lot of opportunities in the way, the way to the world cup has, has been challenging for her. Yeah. Really great to see her fighting in there. She took, um, took a great heat, really uh, made sure that she was like participating in it, not sort of uh you know, just being satisfied with making the heat. I think she really saw that as an opportunity to ski her best, try to fight for her chance to move on. And uh, yeah, she fought, she fought really well in it. I think it's a step in the right direction for her. And um, this Canadian women's team, I think is just super impressive since they have rejoined the World Cup uh, after not participating up until Lati. The women have put a, a skier in the top 30 every single race. Like you said, there's been multiple career performances in there as well. So um, yeah, I think it's just really great to see Maya having a day. Daria's day is going to come too. Like it's just a matter of uh, putting it all together on a day. Cause if you're 32nd, you're just as good as the, the girls that are ahead of you five or six places. So um, just a, a matter of trusting the process, making sure that um you keep going in the direction because at some point, like you're going to hit, hit the nail on the head. If you just keep hammering. Let me throw a question out there. Cause I spoke to, and I think I mentioned this to you, Devin, that I was going to um, reach out to Eric Broughton and Catherine Stewart Jones, which I did earlier this week, just to talk about, you know, technique work over the past couple of years. So he, Broughton has been, this is his third winner with the team and and Canada has had a Norwegian coach before they've had an American coach in Justin Wadsworth um also going way back uh Marty Hall an American but he coached the Canadian national team you also have had Canadians um coach the team maybe what are you two hearing in the background that that's you know if we're just basing this off results 
right now things are looking like they're working. Um, and he seems like a pretty, you know, Broughton seems like a pretty easygoing guy. He's super pro, um, but has a really good knack for, it seems to me like communication. Um, just curious what you guys are hearing from your side. I mean, I think, I think it's been a huge challenge in Canada of late. We've had way too many coaching changes in a short amount of time. Um, and then the coaches that we do bring in, uh, you know, we have had a bad track record. Like they haven't been given the opportunity to stay long enough to start developing domestic coaches, which I think is the strength of having European coaches in a, in a program like Canada is not only to help the athletes, but also help the community. And they haven't been given that opportunity. And, and Eric, I hope that he does get that opportunity after this coronavirus is done, because that's where his strength really could come into play and like start training up the next generation of coaches in, in Canada, because Canada is just like this Island is you have a lot of the coaches that just never go to Europe or when they're in Europe, they're there for a couple of weeks and they have no idea what an athlete development model is like for, for countries like Sweden or Norway or France or Switzerland or other countries in general. And I think Eric could be a huge help for that, but it's been challenging for him. I mean, he's had to take a lot of this on by himself. And then there's just so much bureaucracy in the Canadian sports system. You cannot believe it. Like it is the complete, it's, so it's the antithesis of what happens over here in Norway in the sports system, to be perfectly frank. And that takes a lot of time and energy from the coaching staff. And it did with Justin and it did with Dave and it did with like every coach that's come through our program. And it's, it's the same with, with Eric, which is really too bad and hard to see, but he seems to have been able to make it work so far, especially with these women that he's been working with that have really bought into to his system and his, his style of the technique and, and development with their training, but it's cost him a lot. And I think this has been an Achilles heel of the Canadian ski federation for a number of years is the, the layers of bureaucracy is, is insane. And, and it ends up having, you're using a guy like Eric instead of him spending his time coaching the athletes and being on site with the athletes, making them better. He's stuck in like these epic meetings talking about funding structures and all this, like all these committees and all these meetings. Like it's, it's just insane. You're not hired to, to be a bureaucrat. You're hired to train the athletes up to get to a better level. And then hopefully the, with the rest of your time, you should be out in the community uh, mentoring the young coaches and also the clubs, the strong clubs across Canada and getting them up to speed with, with how, how we should be skiing technically and then some, some training, some, some uh, training plan advice and that sort of thing. And it's it just been slow to, to materialize. I don't know what you think, Jess, but it's tough. And you see a lot of young coaches um, dropping out of, of Canada for other reasons. I know there's a lot of reasons, but like you've worked with Eric Grinneveld, Jess, and I've got nothing but great things to say with him. I mean, he was the head coach of, of Foothills Nordic, which is one of the biggest clubs in Canada. And he has had great success there. And he was great to work with, easy to work with. And now he's, he's going to take a little hiatus and get some education, which is never a bad thing. <laughs> but, um, but you also had Matt out in Revelstoke, who has been silently building a great club in, in Revelstoke, Canada. And I've worked with him at World Juniors before. And um, he, he's done a great job, too. And, and now he's, he's going to transition and do organic farming instead. And oh, it breaks my heart to see, like, young coaches that are good and are keen. But it, it just the, – the development – pipeline for young coaches in Canada just hasn't been where it needs to be and oh, if that worries me yeah that's uh yeah that's a lot to take on I think the young, young uh, coaching pipeline in Canada but um Broughton I think has been a really solid addition to the Canadian ski team he's brought um 
a level of accountability to the, each athlete that he works with that has really been inspiring to the athletes under his program. And um, I see quite a bit of on the groundwork with Eric. I have never worked with him in a professional capacity. We just generally are on the uh, roller ski track uh, at the same time he's coaching the national team and I work with Foothills with Eric Grunneveld. So um, we cross paths sort of in passing and um, the attention and focus and just commitment that Eric's bringing to each, each session, each interaction with the athletes that he's working with is really high. And I think the athletes find it easy to buy into a coach that is giving everything themselves and it encourages them to give everything um, not just for like a global season, but uh, even just in that micro moment of thinking like, all right, we have, 45 minutes to work on one skate that uh, is a big hole in my racing repertoire. And um, this is an intensity session. We can work on it. And Broughton, man, like he's out there busting his ass doing the intensity with the guys and girls. And uh, it's um, I think really inspiring for those athletes to see how much he's giving on every session and every moment with them. And it's, it's produced a, a team that's willing to work for each other in every single training session and then give everything in each race to get to. Sorry for that long diversion. I just am kind of, because it, it has been noteworthy, at least to me, to be like, okay, Canada seems to be consistently, like you mentioned, popping people into the, you know, top 20, top 30. Um, okay, so let's let's uh, kind of break down the women's sprint a little bit further. Obviously, you know, Jesse Diggins shows up She's yellow bibbed as the overall leader. She comes in third. She takes 60 points, you know, from the race. Yeah. I mean, she's looking not, you know, never say she's a lock at this point, but it's looking quite positive after this weekend that she is a contender for the overall. Oh, absolutely. Like coming into the week, she had around 200 point lead on Stupak and then Stupak isn't in, in Ulrichsholm and, Jesse comes all the way up, clambers all the way up into third. And what a gutsy performance by Jesse too. I mean, like it was gritty. It was a gritty way to, to hit a podium in that skate sprint, like in her semifinal, like she was really driving the bus and it cost her. She ran out of steam coming down, coming down the last 150 meters there and ended up fourth in her heat. But, but all that hard work that she laid down meant that she got into the final as lucky loser. And that was because of Diggins. She was the one that was, was driving the pace in that semi and, and then had a gritty final to, to finish third, which was, which was awesome stuff. And I mean, uh, and yeah, like, I mean, the overall, like I've been saying since the tour was over, if, if Jesse's going to keep at this level, like she's going to come home with the, with the overall globe, which is just so huge. It's unbelievably huge. Uh, if that happens in the, in the end of the season, especially on the tails of a tour to ski win. Um, the other thing I wanted to talk about too, is like Lampage. I think the sprint, the sprint globe is a, the the, the sprint globe is a really fun competition to follow on the women's side. Like Lynn Swan, the second year senior, who's, who's fairly outspoken and, and just, we've talked about her technique. We've talked about how hungry she is and how, like just how aggressive she races. She goes down in her quarterfinal which, which opened the opportunity for Lampage, who is currently the, the sprint cup leader um, in the red bib and Lampage just couldn't, couldn't translate on Saturday and ended up seventh, which is, which is great. If you're, if you're anyone, but Lampage, it's a great way to finish, but those points were something that she needed, but it was a little bit of luck for Lampage that, that uh, Lynn Svon crashed and burned out of this race. Cause I mean, had she stayed on her feet, you got to think that Lynn Svon is right up there with Dahlqvist and Hogstrom for sure. I mean, she's shown such strength all season long. Yeah, the um, really big takeaway is for me that Jesse's in like 
ridiculous shape and she just keeps driving wherever she starts. Um, like t- today in the team sprint, her main goal seemed to be to get to the front, ski away from other people and just ski her own race. And I think when Jesse's in really good shape, she just doesn't want to, she looks as though she doesn't want to ski with anyone else. She just wants to have clear track in front of her. And yesterday in the, in the individual sprint, she was able to fight with a really strong Swedish team fighting against four other Swedish girls in the final and come away with the podium. I mean, it's, uh, she's just on fire right now. It's cool to see. And kind of a big shout out, like Eva Jurevich. Like I, if someone was going to tell me that a Slovenian was going to be in the final, it would have been, you know, lock that it would be Anna Maria Lampic, but getting into the final for Jurevich yesterday, probably like one of her bigger, Days. Oh, I haven't it's gone back. Best. No, it's a, it's her personal best result, and she was skiing so yeah. well. So I'm glad you brought that up. No, for sure. And coming off an ACL injury too, she was out last year because of an ACL tear. So she's no had, yeah. Huh. So she's had a great she's had a great season here. And when you put that into perspective, that you were out, you know, like that's ten months of rehab to get that ACL back to where it needs to go, and to be into the final, getting personal best performances for the young Slovenian. That is so fun. And then of course, like what happened today, we're jumping ahead a little bit, but that's just kind of how this podcast is going to be. I mean, like Slovenia takes the win in the women's team sprint, which we'll get back to, but that was really exciting with Lampic and, and Jurish. So that was, uh, so that was, uh, it was super, super fun. And just a, a, another note, speaking of coming back from injury is Hannah Falk, who I think had a, a pretty severe back injury. Um, and she's back and did quite well. But I'm just kind of curious, um, you know, she's coming into an environment that's kind of a changed environment, right? I mean, you've got tons of young Swedish women who are crushers. And Falk, who looks great coming off, you know, coming back from injury is, you know, could be out of starts next season because there's just too many young women coming up or am I just projecting too far into the future? Oh, I mean, I think you're right. She's really struggled with her back and she's struggled for a number of seasons now, but it's been fairly critical at times and, and not just for next season, Jason, but like Hannah Falk, who has like a number of world cup wins. She was actually the hometown favorite. She's from Ullersound. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that's really fun to see her in the final, especially after the run-up she's had. She's had some challenges this year again. and But the fact is, like, fourth, which is great, is that enough to even get on the Swedish World Championship team or get starts, sorry, at the World Championships and stuff? The Swedish women's team is so strong that, like, fourth place doesn't cut the mustard. So it's uh, it'll be interesting to follow along. But you know what? She's in a great environment, and it's a positive environment in the Swedish sprint side of things, especially for women. They work really well together. And they've got a lot of great people working for them as well. And that's showing up in the results. And especially a, a quick shout out to the two that work in the, in the, well, I guess like the development side or like the, the, the under 23 team, if you want to make a junior under 23 development program, you have Ida Ingemar's daughter, who is a racer that Jess and I have raced with for a number of years. She's coaching there. And then a great guy named Jonas who's, who's also working with her. That's done just such a great job. So it's been a, an amazing program. And like you've said earlier in this podcast, Jason, like they've been developing a number of young, exciting skiers. And what's exciting is how they're skiing. Like they have great technique. They're tactically very smart tactically they have been all year this year it's going to be so exciting at the world championships to see is this going to be the world championships where we don't see a norwegian suit on the women's podium for sprint like i think it could be i mean which is crazy to say but there is the swedish women are great and some americans you have lampage who was great in classic as well it's, it's going to be an awesome women's sprint at the world championships sunling 
had a little tangle with Jesse Diggins, I think in the semifinal coming around that corner at around, you know, maybe a minute left, 50 seconds left to race, went down, fell on her bottom, got up, caught up, and placed second to to move into the finals, which I didn't realize. I just, yeah, I wrote her off. And then when I texted you a question, you're like, hey, how about Sunling? I'm like, wait, she actually made it in? Um, yeah, like what's, I mean, maybe go back and just describe that. Cause that's just, I mean, what went on to her, I mean, beyond just being fast, uh, to allow her to, to move through there. Yes. You want to um, start with that? Yeah, sure. Well, yeah, the, uh, the wipeout was pretty interesting cause she did, she hit the deck, but she basically was a bouncy ball and got right back up. Didn't seem to lose much, uh, momentum actually carried it while she was on the ground, which was really, um, like a, a great attitude. Like if you hit the deck, you, you want to be someone that gets up as soon as they can and starts fighting right away. So really cool to see um, that, you know, a wipeout in a sprint, a lot of people would consider that like the nail in your coffin and just call it quits right there, let alone with maybe 400 meters left in the race. So uh, good honor. And actually I think she kind of seemed to have like uh, like a little bit of a bad luck streak this week. She was involved in a couple incidents today too, in the team sprint and um, ending up, I think she, might have been the one who ended up backwards when Victoria Carl's ski came off in this event. Um, so yeah, weird weekend for Jonas Sunline and somehow ends up still relatively successful making the final. Okay, so let's we good and we want to head over to the men's side. Yeah, I'll get it. I'll get us going in the men's sprint. There's, I thought there was a lot of like fun storylines with the men's sprint. I, I, the biggest, a big, a big story, not the biggest, but is um, a couple things. Is the Norwegian sprint team, the top guys of the sprint team, they didn't show up, so they didn't travel through the little song. Now it's all eyes on the World Championships, and, and given that we're in a pandemic, and Norway is, has been in a little bit of a precarious position with uh, these variants, these uh, genetic variants of the of COVID nineteen. Um, the rules have gotten crazy strict. That's why I'm sitting here talking to you guys and not in Finland working with the world junior team. So, so they're not taking any chances. So the, they didn't show up. Also the Russian, the, the Russian team, which has been so strong all year. Um, they didn't send a full team. They didn't send a full sprint team to these events either for some of the same reasons. And also to prepare for the world championships, you only saw a couple of guys, but they, they converted really well, which we'll get back to. So I thought that was kind of interesting. And, and you saw it like, the, the Norwegians, the Norwegian B team, let's say, just uh, they struggled. They struggled big time. And their top guy was was Sindra Bjornstad-Skar, who is one of the best skate sprinters in the world. And and he had just a little bit of bad luck in his in his semi and ended up seventh. But after that, I mean, it fell pretty quickly. And then the other guys just weren't, even though they're great sprinters, all of them, they just weren't able to convert and felt bad for them because they don't get a whole lot of chances, but they didn't, they didn't take up those chances. And uh, the Russians, the two Russians that were on the start line, both made the final. And we're going to get into that for sure. Because uh, Ustigov was looking so strong again in the sprint this weekend. And he is just take no prisoners and just charging. And for sure, he could be accused of like maybe not the best tactics when you're in such good shape. But he's had such a rough lead up with COVID-19 and and really struggling to find form that like, man, I think this looks really scary for the world championships if he skis like this because he's looking so good uh at least with his aggression and how fast he's able to to move his body but the big story is oscar svensson guys sweden wins again oh my god <laughs> all hail oscar svensson that was a great great race and and the hometown gets the win in the men's and the women's and i thought he i thought he had a tactically perfect race i mean 
he was exactly where he needed to be in every single one of his heats. And he has just such a big sprint finish for the big tall Swede and comes away with the, with the home win. There's a lot of fun storylines, but we'll just start with that. What do you think, Jess? Yeah. I mean, the, the book of Swedish heroes definitely has like a new headliner right now at Oscar Svensson and um, being able to put up, you know, back to back to back podiums, I think now in sprint with two of those being victories going back to the tour de ski. Uh, he's just having like, uh, a sort of dream season and now midway through the year he's got a win on Swedish soil but um, he just he skied the final really well like you'd almost wouldn't see him you, you didn't notice him in the final until the finishing straight he skied most of it in the back lurked around didn't use a lot of his energy took a few places where um, he knew he could on the downhill on some of those corners and put himself in a spot to carry speed into the finish and in a four-way sprint to the line, was able to just nip ahead of Gleb. So really, really cool to see someone probably with a little bit of uh, inside knowledge on a race course that, like we said earlier, hasn't been a sprint on the World Cup. He's he's likely done a couple sprints on this course in his his career at various levels. So um, great to see him come away with the win. Really exciting finish for those guys. But Ustigov really, to me, is impressive because – he struggled with, uh, I guess it, in Canada, it's called the long haul of COVID-19. And it's taken him a long time to get back to this spot. But, you know, Usigov finishing fourth in a qualification and skiing hard in the final, that's basically back to normal. So I agree completely with you, Devin, with the championships coming right around the corner. Um, Usigov figures to play a big role in those races coming up. Oh, absolutely. And one last thing before you jump in here, Jason, is like, I want, because I want to talk about this. Bolshinov, the best skier in the world, he's absent. And you know what? If you're the Norwegian ski team right now and you see the decision that Bolshinov has now made, the guy who races it all, he's leading the World Cup by like a country mile. He's won the overall World Cup already. It's done. That competition is over. And now he's taking a break from the World Cup. He's not racing here, didn't race in Olorosam, and Bolshinov's not going to Novo Mesto. Dude, Bolshnov has a, a trunk full of silver medals from championships. This th- this could be a Shmirnov 1995 performance that we could see, which is where he just comes away with almost all the individual gold medals with a decision like that. That is a crazy smart decision by Bolshnov to step away, take a breather, build up properly for the world championships finally, instead of just chasing all these races every weekend like he's done in the past. And, and that's just, that's given him a bunch of hardware. I mean, silver medals from the Olympics in, in Pyeongchang when we were there, Jess. And then of course, like silver medals in, in 2019 as well, but he's hungry for gold and he's been the best gear in the world the last two years now, or like last season and this season. And when I saw that he made the decision to, to step away from the world cup for a number of number of weeks, I was like, Oh my God, this world championship just got even more exciting because he's going to be so good at that championship and if Ustigov keeps this form which why wouldn't he I think the team sprint is just going to be an awesome competition too Ustigov Bolshinov versus the Norwegians like it's going to be awesome and I'm not the biggest fan of the team sprint but at the at the championship I think it is exciting except for that one in 2011 I thought you were like partial to that one right (laughs) no the championship the championship team sprints are cool the championship team sprints are cool the world cup team sprints I don't know it just doesn't float my boat but Anyway, I'll jump um, in right on that because I am a huge proponent of World Cup team sprints. I think it's still the most exciting event that FIS has on their docket, just in terms of 
the uh, the variance at the top. You, you really never know who's going to win a World Cup team sprint. There's a lot of races that we show up, line everyone up at the start, and you kind of know who's going to win. And the excitement of a World Cup team sprint, like, I don't think ever fails to deliver. So big, big World Cup team sprint fan, partial to them because they're my favorite race to do when I was an athlete. But um, now as a uh, armchair expert fan. Um, I really love watching both cut teams for So That's my little spiel for loving them. Let me, I'm curious because I, I guess I'm more partial to the team sprint when there's three tag offs. It's a little more understandable. It's less chaotic for my taste. Whereas if in Dresden this year, there were six tags, you know, each skier was doing, uh, t- uh, yeah, one lap. So each skier skied six laps. I think I have that straight, but it, again, yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah, it was just a lot going on, and I think sort of I lo- the elegance of the whole, uh, and maybe that's an outdated term, but like watching people cross country ski, and I think there can be elegance in sprinting as well, and in a team sprint. So for me, I much preferred this team sprint today with the longer course um, and fewer tag offs. <laughs> that's just my kind of preference i mean i think i just and i are going to disagree with it of course which i think is kind of fun but like i don't know what it is about the world cup team sprints i just find myself like just losing focus i'm like i don't really care this doesn't really mean much um and just like guys are walking especially the men's the women's the women's team sprints fun all the time just there's a lot of moving parts people are really trying um so the women's team sprint on the world cups always I, i do enjoy watching that because i so i should have that caveat but for the men uh, it's just a real walkabout out there. And that, that that's called tactics. And I know that, but it, it's just for whatever reason, I'm like, Oh my God, I know nothing's going to happen for many, many, many laps here. And people are crowding the front and going slow. And I'm just, Oh my God, I don't know. It was just, even though the team sprint, like Jess says to himself, he loved racing. It was, there's no question. It was my best event. I mean, uh, I was probably for my physiology or whatever, like team sprints probably suited me the best I got. Uh, intervals were kind of <laughs> my jam and that's what all the team sprint is um but uh yeah i think it's just like the drudgery of like although it is tactical yeah i just see it as like i know the guys are just walking out there and waiting for the for the big shootout and it's just i don't know bothers me but at the but at the championship on on the other hand like the when there's a medal on the line for your country then then the, the stakes get raised and we've seen just some amazing team sprints at the championship uh, with uh, especially like Pyeongchang being a, being a highlight. I think I thought the men's team sprint in Pyeongchang was, was awesome. Same with the same with the team sprint in, in uh, the Bolshinov versus, versus Klebo in the team sprint in, uh, in Seyfeld too. But yeah, but I, but that said, Jess, now when we start spinning over to the men's team sprint, it was, it's cool to see the sellies because Switzerland was second. Yeah, but dude, let's not go okay. so fast yeah, yeah. yet. Because we failed, dude. I'm like looking at this great picture of this guy named Graham Ritchie who qualified in ninth. Oh yeah, we're not done with this. That's a career best no, performance yeah. for Rich too. When like he's from Perry Sound, Ontario, which is an hour and a half from Sudbury, the great uh, the great city of Sudbury, Ontario. <laughs> so so I really I'm pretty I'm I'm a real hometown fan of Graham Ritchie. Guy qualifies ninth finishes in the top 20, got pushed around all over the place out there. Uh, just couldn't find a hole to get through. And I thought he had a great last sprint to the finish line too. I don't know. You saw that Jess, but he was, he had wheels, dude, like coming down the stretch. If he had another 50 meters, like he probably could have got himself into the semis, but he just got, he just got pushed around out there in, in his quarterfinal, but doesn't have any experience with that. I thought, dude, so fun to see 
such a big, so bullish on, on, uh, on Richie. What a beauty. Awesome day to see him in the top 20. Yeah. Great. Uh, great day. And actually the wheels that you're talking about, Devin, um, he, he drove all over me last year in a skate sprint race in Mont St. Anne and I had no shot getting past him in a finishing straight. So I have firsthand experience seeing just how fast Graham Richie can go and, uh, great to see him do it at the world cup level today, showing up and, you know, bid 50 something in the qualification round and putting down the ninth best time, uh, not expected from like a wider audience, but I think, you know, anyone that's been paying attention to Canadian skiing has seen him move up from world juniors, U two threes, taking care of business on NORAMs in Canada and improving the whole way through. And, you know, he's, I think for the last, it's getting close to four years now. He's made world juniors, U two threes and figured prominently in all of those sprints. And even last year um, in the 15 kilometer race had Canada's best result in the 15 K classic at U two three. So uh, I think he finished maybe top 15 in that. So just a really strong thick guy that's on a, a healthy part of the development curve right now. And um putting down a result, like having a, a big day overseas. That's really what you dream about. And um, this is just, you know, one step in his direction towards being a, a guy racing in the finals of these, these things, because he's got the power and he's just got to get a little bit of the experience racing against guys that um, don't take no for an answer around the corner or a finishing straight. You know, if you're going to ski against Ustigov, Shanova, Pellegrino, the, these guys like, they're the best of the best in their country and um, learning how to race against them takes, takes some time and he'll figure it out. And uh, you know, moving down the line, like if we're going to talk about the Canadians for a little bit and give some, some respect out there, like Russell was there in 44th, not exactly um, a result that he probably would want, but it's uh, like a good distance season so far from Russ and Pierre Gall Johnson is in the race too. And he's going to be one of the guys racing at the U two threes next week in Vokadi. Um, that's had some really gangbusters spring qualifiers in Canada. And it's just a matter of time until he makes it happen on the world cup as well. Like he's, he's a guy who's got like the total um, two times speed compared to everyone else going up a climb and uh, he'll figure it out at the world cup level. I'm sure of it. And Antoine Sierra, I think has been battling a little bit of sickness for the last couple of weeks, uh, not totally healthy, but um he, he's uh, another strong skier who's going to just keep moving up the ranks. And it is exciting, like you said, Jess, that they have this young group, uh, these young group of athletes, and I've worked with them the last the last few years at World Juniors, and I've been working with the Canadians there, and have been awesome to work with. And like, it just breaks my heart that I'm I'm not there. Like, I can't even believe that happened. Uh, <laughs> why did things have to change so fast? But I guess that's that's kind of how things are in 2020. But I agree with you. It's a young, exciting team from the men, and and it, it's gonna it's gonna be exciting to cheer them on next week in in at the under 23s. But of course, like under 23s are are a stepping stone for the big show which is the world cup and Richie qualifying ninth like that. It's awesome. And, and Graham, Richie, Jason, I don't know how much, you know, hockey. I don't know how much, you know, of hockey. Well, I've read up on this dude a little yeah. bit. Sounds like okay. he's a hockey. Yeah. Oh yeah. Go for so, it. Yeah. So, so Graham Richie was actually a, a goaltender at like quite a high level in Canada and that when he was younger. And I mean, that's where he came from. He didn't start cross country skiing, uh, ski racing until later in his <clears throat> later into his teens. And, but the fact of the matter is, I played hockey for 10 years and, 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 um, being a Canadian that loves hockey, you just, you're, yeah, it's like your religion. So you, you, you but like the goaltenders, if you're standing in the net, getting slap shots to the face, 
you got to be a cool cucumber, dude. You got to have your head on straight and be like in the zone, be able to get in the zone and the focus and just execute. And I think this is a huge positive for a guy like, uh, like Graham Ritchie moving forward. He is so calm, man. Like the morning of sprint races, doing his routine, seeing him warm up the night day before he's not like some high strung sprinter that he, he is so calm and chill. And I think it's going to suit him really well when, when he gets to the bigger shows, like the world championships or full world cup seasons, because um, we already saw it in the qualification that helps a lot in the qualification to be able to just get into that zone and stay calm and stay on task. And, and uh, Graham Rich has been able to do that. And then, like you said, Jess, so cool to see him throw down here. Okay. Calm and chill. Let's use that as our segue to the men's, uh, for the men's skate sprint or team sprint today. Um, a couple of things to hit on that I would like you to, to both of you guys to comment on, uh, Switzerland just going berserk, uh, at the finish that I, I actually, we got a, we got an email from Daphne. Um, did you read that email? No, I haven't, I haven't read it yet. It's pretty funny. She's like, could you guys please comment on why the Swiss skiers were celebrating like they liberated Berlin? Uh, (laughs) (laughs) I thought that was pretty funny, but I was so taken aback with the celebration that I thought for a moment that the Italians had been disqualified and the Swiss had won. I was like, whoa, what's going on here? Um, so yeah, so talk a little bit, a bit about uh, a bit about what you saw on the men's team sprint, the celebrations, and... Uh, yeah. I could take the celebrations and stuff, but since Jess just loves the men's World Cup team sprints, and, and it's been quoted on the pod saying it's, it's his best event, which I, I think a good thing and, I'm yeah. close to like my sink to barf up what I think about that. You can take the rundown of the men's team sprint, and then I'll try and jump on the jump on board because I thought the celebration was actually really cool to see. But but you you take it as away, Jess. Yeah. I okay. So my um, my impression of the team sprint really is it, it's it's an interesting mix of tactics and execution, and there's always this sort of game that you're playing of like who do you if you've got five or six people that you want to make two teams out of what's the construction that you're making like who what's the identity of your team going to be and i think that that's the most interesting part of building a team sprint is deciding are we going to put a distance guy with the sprinter are we going to put two distance guys together and just try to drill them like um like the Finns have done with evo and sammy yahoo going back years and years and years but yeah today's team sprint um yeah, I can I can see Devin how you're saying like it, it's a little bit of a walk fest, a snooze fest in some parts, but um, the the variance at the top is really what draws me to the team sprint since it gives more teams an opportunity to to access the top. You know, there's more turnover in podiums and in wins, and that's something that I just find so exciting, and, and it really kind of gives. Um, every dog has their day sort of any sun, any given Sunday is really applicable for the team sprint. If you put out a team that can ski well together, ski calm, relaxed, and then just pick their parts to really drill the pace and fight for positions, you can end up with Switzerland one coming away in second or um, Norway missing the boat with both of their teams in the final. Cause and that's, a that's actually like in terms of us talking about the, a final, it's unbelievable that both, the individual final for the men and the team sprint final for the men featured no Norwegians. Yeah, that's a and scandal. I, I mean, I haven't gone back to take a look at historical results, but I got to think that's the first time a sprint weekend like this is, hasn't figured, 
um, hasn't featured Norwegian men in the finals. So unbelievable yeah, no. spot for that. And um, it was a, a bummer to see Shanovat take a tumble and, and put their team out of the running because with Richard Juve uh, taking the anchor leg, there's really the sky's the limit with that team to, to fight for the win, fight for medals. So that took a little bit of the sting out of the race so close to the end for Shanovat to, to, to fall right before the exchange. Um, but, you know, you've got Pellegrino and DeFabiani together on a team, and that's sort of the um, typical team sprint construction, putting a, a distance guy on leg one to hand off to the strong sprinter on leg two so that you can try to take sting out of the, the com- competition's legs and then give yourself a chance to sprint to the line. So they did a really good job, I think, of, of understanding the strengths on their team and then just building the best team and then coming up with a strategy and executing on the day. Um, and then even seeing Czech Republic, you know, like they were in a lunge for a podium in that spot. And I can't remember the last time, like we have to probably go back to Lucas Bauer, the last time there was a Czech man on a podium. So for those guys, Ludic Seller and Michael Novak to be in as close as you can get, I, I have it in front of me and they were two one hundredths of a second from getting onto the podium, which is heartbreaking and encouraging at the same time. Like just a really tough pill to swallow, but um, props to the Swedish men with Sweden too, making their podium in front of uh, a home crowd. And um, I, I do want to give a shout out to the Americans, Kevin Bolger and Simeon Hamilton. They raced um, like a, a really strong race. Like you could tell from the gun, it looked like they were just deciding like to ski near the front, try to stay out of trouble do their best to control what they could. And um, both guys found themselves near the front of the race the entire time, just right at the tail end of the race, losing a couple of positions to not completely figure into the sprint of the line. But um, yeah, it, it might only come down to some excitement in the last leg and a half of, of the event. But I think that that concentrated excitement is, is what draws me to the team sprint. And I'll, I'll piggyback onto that. Jess, what you said about the Americans, I thought it was really, and I also agree that it was an encouraging, encouraging race by the U.S. men, which was good to see because like Simi has now struggled for a couple seasons, really. I mean, even though he's been in the final, he's in the final in Dresden this year, which was great. But again, like I said, the caveat with Dresden, especially this year, was that there was no Scandinavians and it's a minute 50 or whatever it is. So, I mean, take that for what it's worth. But the fact of the matter is we know how good Simi is when he's in shape and that's that you can be on the podium in skates absolutely and he had a disappointing sprint uh yesterday he's had a disappointing season other than making the final in dresden he hasn't made it out of the quarters and anything he's missed some qualifications which has shocked me to be perfectly honest because uh you know simi is a strong athlete and and usually in there and and i thought today he looked really really good so i was actually like after yesterday for going forward to the world championships I'm like oh man like this is going to be tough for sim i mean because i just haven't seen I haven't seen Sam of old in in a while, but today I thought he skied so beautifully tactically and technically and, and put himself in a great position for the team. Like you said, Jess, that was cool. And then the celebration having been on a team that celebrated, like we won, like, I don't know, the world cup final of soccer after a third place finish in all in a relay, it was our only, and still is our, the men's only world world cup podium in a distance relay. 
um, that we've ever had for Canada. And I was a member of that team. That meant a lot to me. And we celebrated like we won the championship game. Like we really, really sallied. And to see the Swiss so fired up like that at the line, I really can relate to that because listen, like Jovian Hediger, while he's raced into the top 10 numerous times in the world cup and Roman Ferger actually too, who's been like good in some 10, 15 K skates, distance skate events. He's been good and some sprints as well to come second in a world cup for your country uh, like that in the men's side of things, especially on the team sprint for, for the Swiss, like this is a great result. And I thought it was so fun to see the release of emotion like that to go like, this means a lot to us. We've been working really hard. Both those guys, like I said, have here and then been at the, at the sharp end of skiing and to have it all come together and pay off like that. They skied a great race tactically. They put themselves in the positions they needed to be. They didn't hit the deck. They didn't have any problems and they, they come away with a, with a silver medal. I would have celebrated like that too. I thought it was so awesome to see that, that emotion at the finish line and, and get on them. Pellegrino, of course, has been so strong. He's leading the, the sprint world cup uh, this year again, and then is in great shape. So that wasn't a real surprise. And then after that, I mean, like you said, Jess, I mean, like Finn made some in his semifinal. I mean, like they, they were in great position. I mean, Scar did everything he needed to do to give Finn the, the chance. I mean, Scar handed off, to, to Finn and this is the Norwegian one we're talking about in third place. And then Finn just, I don't know what he was doing. He just got caught out, lost a bunch of positions and then was caught in traffic and the, the pace was so slow in that semi, they didn't make it through. And then I thought it was really sad to see Gleb and Ustigov crack, like see Gleb get tangled up there because in his semifinal, because like Ustigov and Gleb would have been just such a great team to watch in the final, especially with Ustigov just beast moding like he can do. I think it could have been a very different final for this team sprint had had uh, Gleb not get involved in that tangle up late in the, late in his semifinal. So, uh, but at the World Championships, it's going to be a new beast. But yeah, I don't know. <laughs> um, I don't think I don't think Jess is ever going to convince me they, they care about a men's uh, team sprint in the World <laughs> Cup. But but uh, but it was fun to see Switzerland on the podium and and yeah, like you said, like uh, Sweden too. Hogstrom's been good this year, but Westberg's had a really tough season and hasn't done a whole lot and to see him get on the podium. I guess that's good for, for him. And it's, it's good for the, the hometown crowd. Okay. Women's team sprint. This one was exciting. And I think all the women's team sprints are exciting for the record championship or not. And, and I thought, I thought how this one played out right to the line was, was awesome. I mean, it's just really fiery racing out there from these women just attacking the course really well skiing really well powerfully technically and i think to see slovenia win is just so freaking exciting you know like lampich and katja visnar took a podium in the team sprint at the world championships in 2019 which was awesome but winning is a totally different thing in itself and you have lynn svan and dahlquist in second so like slovenia beating the 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 real beasts of, of, of sprinting right now, like just the top of the top, it was just so exciting. And it all came down to that last desperate rush to the line. You saw, you saw Switzerland just pip the U S for that last spot on the podium. But I thought, I thought Sadie and, and Jesse were skiing, were skiing great too. I mean, I thought, I thought it was just a super exciting race. Space was really limited at different times. People tried to, to drive the bus and, and gain some distance, but it would just seem to be hard to do on, on this course. And, and in the end, we had a really desperate sprint finish, which was super fun to see. And they all, they all kind of lunged for the line and the U S were on the, the wrong side of, of uh, that last lunge with, with Switzerland. But I mean, for the world championships, man, like, Oh, 
the U.S. is so good in the team sprint of world championships. I mean, Keegan and Jesse are both world champion and Olympic champion in the event. So there's no reason to, to believe that it won't be an exciting one for the U.S. At the, it's a great medal chance for the U.S. team at the, at the world championships. But I, I just thought... I just thought it was a great competition all around. I was a bit surprised that Lynn Svon drilled that last lap. I don't know what you thought, Jess. She really drilled it and took control. And then I, I was kind of shocked that she kind of ran out of steam and then came back a little bit around the end too. I thought like for a second there, I didn't think she was going to be on the podium at all. And, and she really found her form again, right at the last part of that sprint, but it wasn't enough to get up to, to Slovenia. Yeah. My big takeaway for this, this women's race was that Slovenia and, and Switzerland, two of the teams on the podium weren't figuring into the, the driving of the pace at all. They, they did a good job of hanging around, making sure that they were in contact when they needed to be, but they also didn't use too much of their energy when they didn't need to. There's, you can kind of get lulled into working harder than you need to in a team sprint. Cause there's so many times where you kind of look around and think like, wow, we're going too slow or you're in a draft and, it might feel easy, but you're actually working harder than you, you expect. So the, the Slovenians, the Swiss, they did an awesome job of just conserving energy because the race isn't won halfway through the second leg. It's one at the very end of the, the, the anchor leg. And they knew how to get there, give themselves a chance and executed really well with two of the best closing skiers with Lampich and Feindrich. And Jesse, I think clearly again today is just in stellar shape. Like she took one trip on her, I think it was her second time out on the course today. She just sent it and ended up making this gap of, you know, two or three seconds, clearing some space behind her. And, um, you know, it, it costs a lot of energy to burn the candle that much. So probably took a little bit of her sting out, which maybe could have helped her climb one or two positions, but the way the girls were closing to that finishing straight. It was, it was always going to be a tough, tough ask to win, but um, super impressed with Slovenia and Switzerland and no surprise that Sweden won finds their way onto the podium. I just, before the day would have started, would have assumed they'd be runaway favorites to, to come away with, with win on their home soil. I, hey, Devin, I'm curious, like, obviously, you know, Norway uh, out of the mix a little bit here. So, you know, when they bring yeah. their when they bring their players to world champs from from both the men's and uh, women's side, I'm curious, like, who do you um, see as being like the chess pieces that they insert uh, for the for the men and the women? Obviously, there's a Claybo to play on the yeah. men's side. Yeah. No, for sure. I mean, like Claybo is going to be in the team sprint. That's hundred percent sure. But after that, like, it's going to be, it's just so exciting to see who, who they're going to put in there. Cause they, there's so many names they could put in, but I mean, Emma Leverson has been having just such a great season so far, but, but as I've said a little bit in the past, like can Emil carry that, this momentum that he's had, can he carry that into the championship? Because he really hasn't been able to do that. Uh, honestly in his career to date. Yeah, he's a team sprint world champion in Seyfeld and he was great in that event. But but individually and stuff, like Everson has no medals at, at the championship. So um, he, he's he's definitely a person to put in there. But I mean, they, they just have so, I mean, Volnes. Volnes is a total beast. He's good in distance as well. Uh, yeah, sure, he's he's uh, stronger in, in the classic style in, in the sprint. Or actually, he's, he's just as good in skate sprint. Uh, as classic sprint, but he's, he is a better distance classic skier than skate distance skier, much to, to, to the tune of what Jess is saying about like, how are you going to, how are you going to 
decide who you're going to put on your team. I mean, recall that in, in 2018, you had, you had Sunby with, with Claybo and they won. So Sunby's the antithesis of sprint sprint champ. So, um, and that worked for them. So it's going to be really fun to see who they put, but you know, it's going to be Bolshinov, Ustigov. That's who you're meeting. And that, that is a, that is a stout team to be putting up against. So, so it's going to be tough. And then for the women, it, it's just going to be really interesting to see because there's been some talk, like, do you put a distance gear, uh, in with, um, with Mike and let's say Mike and Kaspers and Fala, but, but I'm not sure that's the, I don't, I'm not sure that's the best strategy either. And, and the fact of the matter is, is like the women's side of things in Norway for sprint has been struggling for the last number of years, Mike and being the exception of that. Um, but it, they're just not at the level. I mean, the Norwegian women, like I said, at the top of the show, like it wouldn't be that surprising if they didn't have a medal at all in the sprint. And which is just crazy to, to say when, uh, when you look through the history at the championships that said, Mike and Mike, and there's no reason to believe why she won't show up and be ready at the world championships. Like she's always is, but I, I, I'm a little worried that they might not be a factor in the team sprint either, honestly, for, for Norwegian fans, for the women's side of things. Although the men's, it's just going to be a battle Royale between Russia and Norway. It's going to be such an awesome event. It's going to be an awesome championship all around with, with that. But yeah, no, it's going to be, it'd be fun to see the individual and the individual sprint and the team sprint for women for Norway. It's, uh, it's kind of like we're in hail Mary territory. I'm not sure how, how it's going to go. And, I, I wouldn't put a lot of money at that. They take medals in either. Okay. My last thought here, and you, you you guys can continue in, in any capacity, but I'm just kind of curious. I'm looking at a photo here of uh, your third place, the men's relay, right? Yeah. Okay. So there's the air guitar. And I know, I think like ESPN or whatever, they do like an oral history of some pretty cool stuff, right? Yeah. I'm not sure the air guitar, it, it, it's cool. It's cool, but it's distinctly Canadian at least with skis. No. Yeah. Oh yeah. Because we started that Alex and I started that after actually, if we're going to give the real credit where it's due, I'm going to give you the credit where it's due. That's what I want. Yeah. This is going back. This is going to be fun. This is going back to under 23s in soldier hollow in 2004. Nobody loved, but it was more like the air band Chandra Crawford. No one loves to like, to throw a party like Chandra Crawford. Okay. Like that that's, and like make believe that kind of thing. (laughs) Like she loves it. So at that championship, we did a picture, like a photo shoot where the, I God, I wish I could find that picture for sure. Chandra has it somewhere, but it was everybody. We were like a band pretending we were a band and we have a picture of all these under 23 athletes, like drew myself, Chandra and, and Dasha, and, and everything like that. So that's, that's, that's really where it started. I mean, it's, we get, we'll give the credit to Chanda where it's due. And uh, after that, I mean, the rest is history. Well, who was on the skis? Uh, who was on the skis then? Uh, I think who is, yeah. Who is doing the skis with the air guitar? I think Chandra was the lead singer. Okay. And I got to go back and see it. But after we won the world championships in, in 2011, that was, that was just a, that was a celebration like none other. And, and uh, yeah, I, you know, Alex and I, I just told Alex, like, let's do this, man. Like we did the rock in good times. And uh, 
that was history. So then that just kind of got kind of became our calling card. And Alex really took that to the next level by winning the 50 K at the world championships. And, uh, in 2017, that was a pretty iconic picture. And then Alex has a number of world cup. I mean, Alex is the best gear Canada's ever had by a factor of 10. So, um, you know, there's a lot of great pictures of Alex with the air guitar and I've got a couple too, and, uh, some others, but, but yeah, you know what, we're going to give the credit to Chandra Crawford back in 2004. Yeah. Okay. What do you think, Jess? It's going to be quite the session. Yeah. Go ahead, Jess. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it. It just. It's so Canadian at this point. I, I think it'd be uh, like a misappropriation if any other country decided to break out guitars with their skis and poles. And um, I, I think it looks looks very cool being a Canadian going up there. But it's coming from a place of serious bias. Um, as, as a Canadian and buddy of all these guys that have rocked on, rocked out to the air guitar. So yeah. And it's yeah. rock on baby. You know yeah, what I mean? Definitely. And there's been a drought though. That's the, I can only imagine what this oh next air guitar session will be like. Yeah. So I, I'm, I'm hoping that someone has the breakthrough. Yeah. And you know what? I hope if it's, if it's Graham Ritchie, who's like really strong guy, too strong. I hope he goes up there and almost like just rips his shirt off like a real like we're talking like acdc or do does the acdc hop like hop on the podium like you know that like yeah i hope uh, i hope he can do something like that but no it's definitely a distinctive canadian celebration i hope i hope the tradition continues so i think like jess said it's a lot of fun did the juniors not do it last year what about those guys last year? No air for guitar? For sure they did. For sure they did. Oh, they, there's air guitar. Okay, sure. I don't think for I saw sure. that. They, it, was pandemonium. it was pandemonium after the juniors won the, the, the silver medal at the World Juniors last year. So, But maybe if the juniors are listening this year, because they're coming in with a strong team too. So if you get a medal, guys, you got to do an air guitar for, for Alex, Jess, and I, and, and the rest of the Canadian contingent. Okay. Um, anything else? Looking forward to you. Yeah. We have an off weekend next weekend. Stoked about that. Yeah, you've got to be. I am. And Nova Mesto and then World Champs. So yeah, just one last thought, both of you guys, about you know the weekend prior to World Championships. What is anybody looking for there if they indeed do show up? Well, and here's the thing. This year is a special case with COVID-19 and stuff. And the weekend before World Championships is going to be so diluted. It, it's a joke. You're going to have no Swedes, no Finns, no Norwegians, and no Bolshinov, probably no Ustigov either. I, that's not confirmed, but I'd be surprised if he was there. It's almost like, why are we having this event <laughs> in in the World Cup season with COVID-19? Because, mm-hmm. you know, before Christmas in Davos and Dresden, it was World Cup light. But then this is really like, you know, all eyes are on the World Championships. It's only one week before the championship. You, you, you think about like the risk involved. People are really taking this seriously. You do not want to get sick or you don't want to have anyone on your staff or your team sick at, at the World Championships. On that note, you know, the, the anyone that made the World Championships for Norway was like getting starts at the World Championships weren't in Ulrichsham. But what wasn't reported is there was no World Cup techs in Ulrichsham for those Norwegian skiers. So they were using help really? from yeah they were using help from China they were using help from Great Britain but the World Cup the, the technicians that are working at the World Championships were not in Ulrichsham this weekend they take this seriously you have a, one or two positive tests and your team's out dude so Nova Mesto is is an afterthought and this year it's it's like it's not even a World Cup it's it's a OPA it's an OPA Cup level race sadly which is too bad because Nova Mesto is a great venue and. Like Jess said, it's fun to see guys like Novak. I mean, he qualified sixth yesterday too, so he's he's in great shape and he's born in '96, so he's a, he's an exciting racer. But that 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 race is just such a throwaway. Okay, 
Yep. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm excited. I'm always excited for World Cup racing, and um, it'll be a weak field. But I think the fun thing about weak fields is it gives people an opportunity to come up and show show a big day and like take some confidence from that. So yeah, I'd be looking for the Canadians that will be there to show up, have big days, and then take that confidence with them to the World Champs. Because um, yeah, you may as well if you're gonna line up on the race, give everything you've got, come away with a big result, and then just bring that energy to the championships too. And that is true. You make a super good point with the confidence. So the, mm-hmm. the ones that are at the ones that are at that Nova Master World Cup, and there's not going to be many, but the ones that do show up, like I, yeah, that, that's a, that's a super great point, Jess, that, that you can yeah, take a lot of confidence, especially in the individual race, right? Cause there's going to be a 10 K skate individual for the women, 15 K for the men. And that's a, that's an event that's happening a week later at the world championship. So for sure you can dial in your pacing, you can dial in those good feelings and those good vibes and bring that in, bring that into the world championships and hopefully not get smacked around by reality. But uh, anyway, regardless, you can get to confidence. You can take confidence with you. I agree with you, Jess. Yeah. Nothing says good vibes like Nova Mesto and Czech Republic. <laughs> hey man. Hey Jess, the three cats, dude, the three cats, that hotel is actually pretty sweet. I've uh, never, never set foot in Czech Republic. So I'll take your no. word for it. Devin. Okay. No, honestly, I've, I've stayed, I've stayed in the worst, <laughs> the worst hotels in Nova Mesto area. You can possibly <laughs> imagine like once there's a, there's like a hotel. It's like an hour outside of the race venue. It's wet. Jason, I'm not making this shit up. It's Western themed, like tacky. Yeah, you gotta love that. Western. That's yeah, like yeah. Sist- no, no, like we're talking like saloons, like a saloon and like the, the you know, those bar yeah. doors, like in Western, like the doors. Oh yeah. But like done like Czech Republic oh. style, maybe in like built in like 1967 is the fucking worst place. I've Like not the worst place I've ever stayed, but it was right up there. The food is just hot garbage. Like it was brutal, but we found a, uh, in later years, we found this this place in uh, very close to the race venue. They are so awesome. It's a great place to stay. Uh, the people that run it are awesome, and it's it's not called the Three Cats in English. It's but in in uh, in in Czech, it's the Three Cats. Awesome place. So if you're in Nova Mesto and you want an awesome place to stay, the Three Cats do it. It's great. But uh, don't- Devin, Devin, this has to be a segment for you. Like all these obscure World Cup venues that you've been to, you've got to have like Devin's must hit. Oh yeah, like, yeah, sure, yeah. We'll have to do that like, another day. Yeah, Alex they, uh, and I the, or something. The weird pizza place in Otipa, Estonia. Like, oh yeah, the coffee shops in Sweden. Dude, oh, like, yeah, totally. You gotta have Devin spots for. Oh yeah, I could do Devin spots in the World Cup. Yeah, we should do that. We should definitely do that because I got a lot of hidden gems. But one spot that is definitely not on the hit list is is the west is the Western Village, like an hour ten drive from the race venue. Thanks, Fist. Thank you, Fist, for putting Canada an hour ten away in the weirdest Western village before the Tour de Ski event there, like back in the days. Is the uh, what a horrible experience. Maybe they thought they were appealing to like the Calgary theme with the cowboy hats. Yeah, probably. I th- yeah, maybe. Yeah, that could have been. Could have been. It could have been. But it was. It was. Uh, yeah, that was a real, real experience. Like walking into there and you're walking down like this, like ghetto ass Western Main Street so gray and bleak and stuff's like breaking down you're like <laughs> who goes here like what is this place <laughs> that's, that's a think. great american export right the myth of the west oh yeah for sure you're about as far away from like from the from the open sky and the myth of the west like as in czech republic with the smell of burning coal like and uh yeah i don't know <laughs> that fits right in with some places right yeah it's true there's but I've, we've stayed like i said three cats around nova mesto really close to the race venue awesome place to stay so do it hit it up all right 
Hey, thanks guys. Th uh, Jess, thanks for joining us and uh, I appreciate it. Devin, as always. Yeah, thank thanks, you. buddy. Thanks, Jess. Yeah, thanks, thanks for having me. Thanks, Jason. Yeah, that was fun. Yeah, take care, guys. Thanks for listening. And if you are interested in listening to the audio interviews we do with athletes and coaches after the races each weekend, you can find them on iTunes and other podcast aggregators as the Fast Tracks podcast. Thanks for listening and have a good week. Yeah.